Welcome to Jersey Guy Sports, your sports talk home for the Yanks, the Giants, the Rangers, and the Rutgers Charlotte Knights. And I'm your host, Don. I want to thank you for listening. Now, today I'm going to be discussing Yankee Blues. The Yankees now have a brand new, quote-unquote, worst loss of the year to put up on their wall after they blew a four-run friggin' lead in the ninth inning on Sunday to the Marlins. Also, I'm going to touch briefly on a New York Giants preseason. Um, I have some Game 1 preseason takeaways. It's pretty hard to uh, garner much from preseason games, but we'll give it a shot here to discuss a few standout items. So let's go ahead and get started. So the New York Yankees. The Yanks blew a four-run ninth-inning lead to the Marlins on Sunday in what is now being called our very latest, quote-unquote, worst loss of the year for the Yankees. It was an absolutely brutal loss in a year of brutal losses, and it was a chance to actually win a series from someone, <clears throat> you know, other than the Royals or the A's. For the first time since June for the Yanks, it would have been the very first series win since June over a non-minor league team that's not called the Royals or the A's since June, but it wasn't a big. Clay Holmes was the one who provided the latest and greatest epic collapse for the Yanks, and for Holmes... The wheels came off in the ninth. He melted down. He gave up five runs in the bottom of the ninth inning to ensure that the Yanks didn't actually win the series. Canely actually contributed the very last hit, but it was Holmes' runner that was on base who scored. So all of the runs were charged to <clears throat> Holmes. Clay Holmes has been pretty decent lately, but again, this is what you're getting with the 2023 Yankees. You can't really count on anyone. Uh, a few other things of note for our free-falling Yankees here. Sunday marked the Yankees' seventh loss this season in a game that Derek Cole started where he threw six-plus innings and allowed two runs or less. Seventh loss in a game like that, and that's the most for any pitcher in baseball. Seven losses where Cole has pitched six innings and only given up two runs or less. Seven times he lost those games. That's really, really bad, and it reflects so poorly on a team's offense. The Yanks have not won a series since June, as I noted a minute ago, other than beating the Royals, and they're now 1-8-3. Going back to the series in June, with the one win being against the Kansas City Royals. That's it. Um, Cole pitched well again, of course. Um, Volpe hit another homer, but his average still sucks. Volpe really needs to make more contact with two strikes and not swing so hard and not uppercut all the time. He is showing some power, though. What else from the game? Bauer struck out five times. Five. He struck out five fucking times. Flavor Torres continues to hit pretty well. So that's something, you know. He's somewhat above being a complete disaster, you know, when you factor in his offense and defense now, Torres. Boone, of course, continues to give his, you know, mealy-mouth answers, what we're all used to at this point. I can't really do a good Boone, but let me see. Um, yeah, difficult way to, to end the series, but, you know, we got to move on. What else did he say? Um, he was all mopey. Uh, we, we don't have a lot of time. We got to get back on the horse tomorrow and find a way. It, typical, typical crap. Um, as with almost... Every game, Boone had his share of screw-ups, of course. The most glaring one in this one was Boone not walking Jake Berger, by the way, who was hot as hell, like white hot, killing us. Berger's been killing us the entire series. This, this time, it was the bottom of the ninth. 
And, you know, we had already blown the lead. It was 7-7. And runners were on second and third. So any kind of hit beats us at that point. So rather than walking this white-hot hitter, Jake Berger, he pitches to him. I don't understand. He just brushed it off after the game, too, as, you know, some ridiculous comment about worried about a bases-loaded walk. That's why he didn't want to, you know, this. This is the manager that we're working with at the Yanks, not walking a just red-hot hitter, which would have created, by the way, a forced play at home or a double play opportunity, not walking him because he's scared of a walk. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. You know that Boone has to go. You know it. I know it. Everyone knows it. He has to go. The Yankees are now in last place, again, in the American League East. The Yankees are a full five games back of the third and very last wild card spot. It is remarkable, remarkable that the Yankees are still actually over 500 somehow. I don't understand how, but they are 60 and 58. So somehow they're still two games over 500 as much of a disaster as this 23 squad is. It's funny, too how long it's taken for some of the fans and writers and the talking heads to come around on the Yanks. But I think some are finally smartening up. I'm starting to see it. I'm starting to hear it. I'm starting to read it. Maybe, just maybe, this is not a very good team. It's possible. This Yankees team with a $290 million payroll is and really should be because they deserve it. The last place team that they are in the American League East. And we've obviously seen and heard every excuse in the books from everyone. And that includes from Boone, from Cashman, from Steinbrenner, the fans, the sports writers, the talking heads that you see on TV and on Yes and everywhere else. Every excuse. Um, it's the injuries. Ah, oh, it's really bad luck. Did you see what happened there? Ah, oh, they just need more time for the veterans to hit their stride. Yeah, the bullpen's been overused. That, that's why we're losing we just have to have them find their lane and a hundred more fucking excuses, right? You've heard every excuse in the book for like a year or two, right? And this is from everyone. And I'm not going to go into my usual rant about how the Yanks need systemic change from the top down, right? And how they need to clean house because you've heard it here before. You know, I felt that about Cashman and Boone here. I've said it before the season on the on my podcast how the minute that they were rehired, this this year was done and over. Uh, that this team is not winning a championship. And I've said that, again, before the season on the podcast, during the season, and it's now pretty obvious to everyone who is now finally coming around. Um, Certainly after last year's embarrassing sweep to the Astros in the playoffs, it was clear that some systemic change was needed. But apparently it wasn't clear enough to Hal Steinbrenner. And again, it probably won't happen after this year. Next year, we'll probably have a very similar team. The only thing that will be different is most of the players will be about a year older and a little more broken down than they are now. And I was thinking about the Yankee players that have actually overperformed this year. And you might be able to get one name or two. Players that are playing better than you might expect this year, better, not the same or not under, is a very small list. For me, probably just Clark Schmidt. Certainly he's overperformed. He'll be pitching, by the way, Monday night against the Braves. And I guess you could make an argument for Derek Cole. Again, Derek Cole is a $30 million a year ace who is expected to pitch well. So to say he has, you know, pitched better than expectations, you could probably make an argument for that. But even that, you'd be pushing it because when you pay a $30 million ace 
who's expected to pitch well, he's expected to pitch well, but he's pitched well enough that I could see an argument for Cole above expectations along with Clark Schmidt. But that is it. Anyone else I will argue with on this team. There is not a single other player on this whole roster who has performed above expectations. I mean, you could say Glaber's hitting a little better than he normally does, but again, he's the absolute literal worst player in baseball, both with metrics and with the eye test. So a utter dumpster fire disaster in the field and a decent hitter who's hitting between 265 and 270. Is that above expectations? The worst defender in baseball? No. Um, so Mr. Error, Mr. Layer, Mr. Lazy, I should say, Labor Torres does not get classified as better than you'd expect. Not Judge. He's about as you'd expect or maybe a little under, and he certainly missed way more time than I hoped. I mean, he's doing well, but I'm not counting him as above expectations. And obviously not Stanton, not DJ, not Bader, not Rizzo, certainly not Volpe, who's hitting about 210. Certainly not any of the catchers, Higgy, Trevino. Trevino's not even around. Higgy's, eh, whatever. I forget Rourkebat. He's just a disaster of a hitter. He's hitting like 120. He's awful. I mean, the Yankee catchers are just fucking awful. They're, they're like, they're some of the worst catchers you'll ever see. I don't know what's happening. So not them. How about the pitchers? Oh, any of them are overperforming? Severino? No. Armand? Uh, no. Uh, Frankie Matas? Uh, no. How about Carlos Rodon? Uh, no. Clay Holmes? No. King? No. Loisega? No. Peralta? No. How about Marinaccio? Down in the minors, he's doing so bad. It's just there isn't a player on this team that has performed above expectations, except for Clark Schmidt and maybe Cole. At best, you can make a case that one of those two or two of those two, you know, have done it. But that's it. So Joe Schmidt, maybe Cole. Yay for us. Now on to play the Atlanta Braves for the Yanks, and we'll see if there's anything they can salvage out of this disaster of a season as we go forward. What they should be doing at this point is trying to bring up some kids and let's see what we have for the following years. It is not what we will do because in everyone's mind, (coughs) they think we can not only make the playoffs, but go far because now their metric is just get in the playoffs as if that's some kind of, you know, fantastic goal. Um, So it won't happen. We're going to be faced with watching what we see now, probably until, the middle of September, in which case they'll call up a few kids and say they tried things. But I wouldn't get your hopes up for the Yanks. And until this management gets cleared out and there's a systemic change in the New York Yankees, unfortunately, we're doomed to this Groundhog's Day events that we're seeing year after year. And that's it for the Yankees. I'm going to go ahead and talk a little bit about the New York Giants now. So the Giants played their first preseason game against the Detroit Lions last Friday. And it went about how preseason games go, and that is to say it was boring, and you likely gained absolutely nothing if you're looking for some kind of insight about the team. Um, they ended up losing the game 21-16, to 16, but that never matters in preseason games. Starters, as you may know, rarely, rarely play in these preseason games, and it's becoming more rare all the time. It's so unfair for season ticket holders who are now forced to buy tickets to preseason games, even though they're such disasters. You're sitting on 95-degree weather watching second- and third-teamers. Um, so it's very hard to judge how your team, you know, is doing in these games. Um, it's hard to evaluate people unless someone really, really stands out. So with all that in mind, you know, you have to keep in mind, by the way, 
think about the talent level in these games. It's essentially like, you know, you're watching a JV high school football team. So if my team beat your JV team, it likely has very little bearing on whether my varsity team could beat your varsity team. Sometimes it does, but it doesn't really have any kind of mapping one-to-one there. These are backup players. These are preseason games. And with all that said, let's take a look at a few things. Um, We had our third-string quarterback, Tommy DeVito, (laughs) playing a lot of the game. Um, And he actually looked okay. He was undrafted and um, local kid. He threw the ball pretty well. He was pretty game and um, very valiant, especially with the fact that the offensive line, particularly in the second half, was just a sieve. What an utter disaster our second and third team offensive line was. But still, DeVito looked okay, um, again, against the Lions' second and third teamers. So, again, you got to keep all this in mind. Our offensive line truly, truly looked terrible, though. Um, it feels to me, without knowing anything, that we probably need to develop some more depth on our offensive line. And I don't think it's tr- that's really a stretch after that one game. And again, everything has to be taken with grains of salt in preseason games. But if you watch any of the tape of the game and mostly the second half, I would say 90% of the dropbacks in the second half, our linemen were beat by their defensive line. It was really, really terrible. And it, it was hard to watch. And again, that doesn't necessarily translate into our starting five, but boy, oh boy, it certainly doesn't give, you know, anyone confidence uh, in thinking that, you know, if anyone ever goes down, that these people are going to step in and help. Boy, was that bad. Um, There were some things to point out, though. Uh, Jason Pinnock, uh, safety, he looked really good. He started the game, again, usual caveat, playing against second teamers mostly. But he did have a pick. He had a couple nice tackles, only played like one or two series, but really, really productive in the first couple series of the game. Jason Pinnock at safety. Um, we had our sixth round pick. He was a cornerback, Trey Hawkins, tall, lanky, 6'3", dude, about 190, um, I think out of Old Dominion. And he played pretty well from what I saw. Again, against backups, so yeah, always everything green of salt. Um, Deontay Banks was our first round defensive back pick. He was meh, I think. He didn't look like he was actually covering people all that well from what I could see. Again, we'll see how this goes, and he's certainly learning. We had a veteran receiver play a lot. His name was Cole Beasley, and um, he looked actually really good. He had a lot of catches. Our super quick receiver, our third-round pick, Jalen Hyatt, um, he was mostly meh, I'd say, as well. We'll see how he does going forward. There really should be some great competition at wide receiver this year for the Giants, although we still absolutely do not have a superstar there. And and we really, really need one. Every team has got one big star. We do not have a superstar wide receiver. We do have a lot of depth this year, though, compared to last year. Darius Slayton is obviously coming back. Our second round pick from last year, Wondell Robinson, you might remember, he tore his ACL in week 11 of last year. So he probably will not be back for game one, but he is going to return this year. And he will certainly get some playing time since he's our second round pick. He's more of a slot receiver. Sterling Shepard is actually back from injury, along with the rookie I mentioned a minute ago, Jalen Hyatt, as well as Cole Beasley, Isaiah Hodgins, who stepped in last year and was really good, and there's another person by the name of Paris Campbell this year that seems possibly or likely maybe to make the team. Um, So there was quite a bit of depth, I would say, at wide receiver, even if there isn't a tremendous superstar at the top. There should be plenty of depth anyway. We'll see how this all goes. 
Um, this is going to help a lot, especially when it comes to inevitable injuries that occur to wide receiver. And certainly adding in our new Pro Bowl tight end, Darren Waller. Um, zone, Darryl, <laughs> Daniel Jones now has, I would say, zero excuses about his receivers at this point. There's nothing that he can point to this year if he keeps missing receivers uh, that it's not him. Now, well, again, we'll have to see how the starting offensive line does and how well they do. That's, to me, the absolute most important part of the offense. We've got to have this offensive line intact and blocking well. Um, Evan Neal obviously has a concussion, and that might be key to this line. We're going to see how he does at right tackle when he returns and how well he does once he returns. It's a pretty big deal because he had a a year last year that many said was below average at right tackle. He was the number six overall pick. Um, so we need to see some good things out of them this year. Having a concussion in training camp certainly doesn't hurt. And it certainly doesn't help you get out of the gate right. Um, I really enjoyed, by the way, <laughs> one of the few things you can enjoy about, um, I mentioned in the past how one of the things I enjoy about Aaron Boone, and there's not much, is when he yells at the umpire and gets all upset um, it's like his only good trait. I really enjoyed seeing Dable getting fired up over the team for letting up a punt return touchdown on special teams. And I love fiery coaches. Boone is not, by the way, at all. He yells at umpires once in a while, but when he needs to yell at his players or get mad at anything else other than an umpire, he's awful. He's like the most ridiculously calm coach ever. On the other hand, Dable gets fired up, and I love fiery coaches. Even in a preseason game, Dable was mad about things. And I think that reflects well in attention to detail and ensuring that players do not lounge. They do not have an attitude where they don't care about things. If he's getting mad about everything in preseason, then they should get mad and they, and they will make better corrections. There's so much we still don't know, obviously, about this year's team. Now, particularly on defense, you know, I want Thibodeau to step up. I want to see how the rest of the defensive line does. Uh, there's new linebackers this year. We're going to see how a lot of these new secondary players play. But it's certainly exciting to watch the Giants coming off of a very good season last year and some improvement where, unlike the Yankees, the upper management structure of the Giants is intact. It's amazing what a good foundation does to the rest of the team. It's independent of talent, right? It's independent of specifics. When you have a good GM and a good coach, you'll find that the rest of the things seem to fall into place. And with the Yanks, with a bad GM and a bad coach, you'll find that things just continue to fall apart as they have. And with the Giants, it's great to look on the other side of that. I don't know how we're going to do this year. We have a much tougher schedule. I think we're going to have a worse record, but probably be a better team. Um, we probably won't learn too much either about how we're going to be until the regular season starts because of the way these preseason games go. But it's still Really great to see football starting up again. So go G-Man. And I think that's going to do it for Jersey Guy Sports today. I want to thank you for listening to Jersey Guy Sports. Please subscribe to the podcast. Tell your friends all about it. And I'll be back soon with some more sports talk. Thanks and have a good day.